welcome back to Blind Love Radio. I have an incredible episode today. I have my amazing friend Lauren on the podcast and she talks all about her journey with fostering and adopting it eventually led to an adoption with her daughter and the story is so beautiful she is so open about her experience um nothing short of magic people this is a ah just an amazing episode like i'm gonna just hype it up too much so i'm just gonna play it it's amazing Um, I will link to connect with her in the show notes and she gives all of that info too. Oh my gosh, you're going to love it. I love you guys. Smooches. Okay, so questions for me. I'm so excited. Oh my god, so many questions. So first, just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do, and yeah, just a little background. All right. So my name is Lauren Gehrig. Um, I am a 35 year old. Well, 34. Well, pre I. I aged myself there accidentally. Uh, 34-year-old. Um, I live here in Loudoun County in Sterling, Virginia. Um, I recently adopted my daughter, Carly, who is 15 and a half, almost. Um, full-time, I work with uh, the government as a defense contractor. And part-time, um, I own a wonderful freelance wedding styling business called styled by lg um which has been kind of my like creative passion i guess you could say for the last almost 15 years so um that's definitely been my creative outlet to my much more highly focused and analytical day job if we'll call it that so um i'm currently studying to obtain my real estate license i love challenges and just like doing new things learning new things um, etc. So I um, am really excited to talk to you today. So thanks for having me. Um, I think that's all there is to know. And you'll probably hear lots more about me as we continue to unravel this, this session. So you're into astrology, right? A little bit? Do you dabble? I love, well, so I love, I love spirit world and I love astrology and I love I love all of that stuff now am I great at it no do I forget stuff all the time yes but do I have a bunch of friends who are like let me draw tarot cards and tell you about your future all the time also yes so like yes I love it do I keep up with it as much as I should no so do you know your sun moon and rising if so tell us Okay, so I don't, but like I, I do because I've been told, uh, but I forget. So this is like my problem. 
<laughs> I okay, love but it. we know it's you're scary. a Libra, right? I'm Libra, Libra sun. September. Mm-hmm. Libra sun. Um, September 30th is my birthday. Okay, we're going to look this up and then we're going to add it into the intro. Woohoo! <laughs> yes. Okay, so you adopted a 15-year-old daughter. Holy moly. No, it's so great. So <laughs> I was like, we were doing hair together when you told me you were thinking about it. And oh my gosh, my heart just melted. That's sweet. What was... The, the process, like, and supportive reactions. By the way, so I have to say thanks. Oh, um, of course. I love you're just like so cool when it, or just so interested in other people's journeys. So, so the process, like, crazy. I was just talking about this yesterday at the gym, actually, to a random group of guys who wanted to know what it was like to adopt a teenager, which is like not my my common audience. <laughs> But I found myself like sweaty standing there talking to them about this very thing and then realizing uh, there's not a lot of awareness or like conversations right now about this whole process. So I was 32 when I began um, thinking about fostering and the impetus for for becoming a foster mom or just what they consider, they call it a resource family, Um, which essentially just means that as a uh, home that can provide foster resources, you either would work through your local government, meaning the county, or through an agency, which is typically at the state level, sometimes county, just depending on, obviously, the need and, like, kind of the population density. So, for example, Loudoun County has significantly less children in foster care than that of, like, say, Fairfax County. Um so I got together uh, through, I like looked up the information on the Loudoun County website. I got a really quick response. I thought it was going to be honestly like an email that went into somebody's inbox and like kind of sat there forever. I think it took me 48 hours before I got a reply. It was a really enthusiastic. Wow. Yeah, it was so fast. It was definitely one of those things. I was like, whoa, this is, if this is what alignment feels like, <laughs> this oh is it. Oh my God, totally. So, yeah. So I get this email back and they invite you to um, an information session first and you show up and it's like, you know, they buy you dinner and they get you nice and cozy and then they tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I think they just like wait to see who will come back or who will move forward with the home study and then who will essentially just be like, yeah, this is not for me. So I'm sitting there as this single individual and I'm just like staring around the room and kind of seeing the looks on people's faces. And I would say from the information session to the actual um, foster parent training course, there was probably about 60% of the people that I had met initially who ended up moving forward to, to do the training. So it was really interesting. Um, but essentially that year, so it was actually 2018, where they came to my home. It was the week before Christmas. Um, This wonderful woman, her name was Michelle. She came in and she did a full evaluation. And like, I'm not even kidding you, probably within a week or less, I had a note from the county, like in my mailbox. And it was like, we absolutely would love for you to be a resource, uh, you know, family or home. 
Um, we think you'd be a great asset, you know, if you'd like to move forward, here's all the information. So that's when things like really kicked off. And then I was like, wait, this is, this is great. Like it was scary to other people, but it was really natural to me. And I guess to set a little bit of the story straight. So I grew up in a really amazing and like very fortunate environment where my mom was an educator for almost 25 years. and She had owned a small private school in the Poconos in Pennsylvania where I grew up. And I was so blessed to see children of every different level of need or, you know, every kind of um, education level and background. My mom had special programs for children with um, accelerated learning needs, meaning they were, you know, learning more at a more rapid rate than their peers. And then she had programs for children who had special needs that, you know, were, there was a wide range spectrum of, of services my mom's school could provide. So I had been around this for many years. I was very just comfortable um, recognizing, you know, what I could potentially do at this point in my life. And I just remember the day that I showed up to the information session, I had said to myself, like, I remember my internal dialogue clicked on and it said like, okay, this was the point in your life where you said if you had the means to provide for somebody else, you would do it. And like, that was the moment that I realized I was in the right room doing the right thing. And I had like followed like what was on my heart. Oh my God. Chills. Chills. No, I'm fair. It's crazy because like I think about it and I've even told my family at times, like I remember my internal dialogue from that day. And I was like having a total one-on-one with myself going, wait a minute. Like this is the realest something has ever felt to me. And throwing it back to the conversation I had with a bunch of random guys at the gym yesterday who asked about like what was it like to adopt a teenager like I remember throwing back this conversation and going like there were people in this room who they could have been you know newly married couples who were on like a fertility journey or older couples who had you know couples who had kids that were out of the house or kids who were growing and, and leaving the home and they wanted to foster And there were people who were really unsure and there was never a moment ever in any of what I had done where I questioned it. And I always knew like this path got me here for some great reason. So anyway, the the process for me became very much like the home buying process. If anybody's familiar, like you get pre-approved and then you find like your avenue essentially, you know, to getting into your home and then you have to go through all the paperwork and all this. That's exactly what it was like with foster care. Um, so I started a formal training that spring. It was about three months after they had accepted us. There's two classes a year that the county hosts and you have to um, go to each of the sessions. They're like four hours long and I think they're six weeks or eight weeks or something. I can't even remember, but there's a lot of hours that you have to log. There's additional parent training that you have to do. Um, it's highly encouraged to work with children or any kind of like, you know, children's groups or, or, you know, any kind of like local community groups that, you know, involve children. Um, it's obviously highly recommended. And so, again, super comfortable for me. Grew up in an amazing environment where my mom had, you know, I was always around children. My mom was a, a an educator and I was very fortunate to have had that sort of exposure, you know, from very early years uh, up until my adult years. So moving ahead, the process itself took about 
um, a little over a year. And what had ended up happening was I think I had like a work conflict with my full-time job. I had to be out of the state. I absolutely couldn't miss it. And it put me back like one course. So instead of actually finishing my certification and all of my training hours, it took me about like two months extra, I think. Um, but it was well worth it. I got a little extra training time in and I had done some more volunteer stuff. Um, that really solidified that I was doing the right thing and that I was in the right place. So on September 23rd, um, and actually remind me of that date later, because this is coming back to the spirituality and the universe and like alignment. I really think that for some reason that day is really significant. But on September 23rd of um, 2019, I actually received my certification of achievement for having, you know, completed all of my foster hours and like gotten everything done and I was pretty much ready and so at that point they say okay like you're approved um you know you're accepted and essentially we'll start placing either short-term or long-term placements within your home so one of the big things that you have to go through which is I think the hardest part of the process and a lot of people I think this is where like emotions get really tied up is when you have to choose your say like foster age range and whether you want to foster say sibling groups or individual ch children do you want boys or girls what age i left this open to absolutely any age gender race orientation like whatever i did not care i just wanted to make sure that my home was open and safe for any child to come dwell hopefully get the love and care that they needed and if nobody you know if you're not aware of this the goal in foster uh care is always 100 percent reunification with the birth family um that's sort of the tried and true formula for success if the birth parents can you know whether it's a program that is say like court ordered or state ordered or whatever it is to get them back in a position where they can welcome their child home provide a safe environment uh, and not essentially break up families, that's always the desired outcome. So I had always had in my mind this idea um, that I would become a foster uh, resource family uh, home. I would let, you know, I would hopefully foster 10, 15, 20 kids, whatever, um, and, you know, just see where the journey took me. And so after that September 23rd kind of uh, milestone. I remembered just kind of waiting at that point. Um, I'd gone through probably five or six different calls um, with different teens who needed homes, but some of the backgrounds were really just not a great fit. Um, and we can probably get into that later if you have more questions, but not every placement is, is really ideal. And you have to do a lot of kind of soul searching to say, okay, like, you know, with my current uh, availability of what I have to offer. Is this a good home for this child? Will this, you know, will this foster uh, the environment that they need? So I had gone about two months um, and it was actually on the cusp of my best friend's wedding in Texas. I got about two months before I had found um, this really great opportunity and I got a random phone call from the foster parenting coordinator here in Loudoun and they said, hey, like, we have this really great girl who we think you would be an amazing fit for. 
And it turns out that we think this is the time frame, the range of time where, you know, you would be able to foster for her. And it was an immediate six months length of time. And I was like, yeah, this is great. I got her background. I got some info, what was obviously legally able to be shared with me uh, and disclosed. I found out enough about her that I wanted to talk to her. And so my very first conversation uh, and my very first long-term placement um, was a result of this phone call and me essentially taking about two weeks prior to meeting her uh, of just getting on the phone, talking to one another, having conversations, figuring out our similarities and differences and all that good stuff. So that was kind of the start of the story from just 2018 when I started. Um, I got my first call, not until November uh, of 2019. So, you know, pretty, pretty much about a year uh, afterwards is, you know, about the length of time that it took and, and how the process went. I don't know if I really like put together that this was happening right before the pandemic. Like you're going into fostering a kid right before a freaking global <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> tell you so I, there's a funny story about this and I have to tell you I swear that the universe is never I mean it is so deliberate so um <laughs> we're ready to merge into like the fun stuff about the homecoming and how all that went I can kind of like tell you about the first 90 days if you will uh sounds like a crime series documentary but it's not <laughs> dealing with the teenager uh, so it's so um complex I never I always thought myself to be like a pretty quick decision maker slash like I overthink but normally only when it's like you know if I'm planning something and I want to be meticulous or like styling hair you know like every pin has to be in place so I thought like as a mom I'd be like pretty cool like laid back whatever so I get her um <laughs> I get this sort of uh, approval. I meet her. So my best friend's wedding is November 24th of 2019. And I'm in Texas. And I get home. And I remember the first thing I had to do when I got home was like clean my house, get it ready. There was going to be an intro sleepover. And so we have an intro sleepover. We had a movie night. She's like cuddling with the dog. I was like, whoa, okay. Oh my it's God, like, crying. What is happening? Yeah. Like I'm in like full blown panic. I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be so great. Aww. And I'm like, but don't get attached. Like the first thing they teach you is don't get attached because it's a really heartbreaking experience. And, and I'll tell you where it stems from, honestly, especially if you are, somebody who has just got like a nurturing and caring spirit uh and that's an inherent quality that you have it's difficult to not get attached from the sense that like when you think about the child and you think about what they've already experienced a lot of these situations have caused some type of grief or trauma or loss or whatever and when you put them in an environment in your home where you really know that you're going to give your 100 percent best effort to care for them and to like do better it it you can't help it right like you can't help but think but like wait I'm gonna give them a better outcome than anybody else could right up until this point like like I'm making up for bad experiences they had or 
I'm giving them new experiences. And like, I don't want to just do that and then never see them or talk to them or be with them again. So it like, you think of all this stuff. This happens on a daily basis, by the way. It's like not a fleeting thought. It's like a pretty consistent one. And so I realized um, when my daughter and I had first met that um, I already had clicked with her just like on the drive home, the first sleepover we had had and her and the dog are cuddling. I'm like, oh my gosh, like she has a new best friend already. Like it was so way, you know, like in a, uh, like this is just going to be a safe place for her to start. So, so what was really cool about the, the moment in time in which I decided that she was absolutely the right placement. Not only did we bond, we had a, we had to go on a shopping trip that day. And what's really funny, anybody who knows me, I'm extremely feminine in my existence. I love hair and makeup and clothing and accessories and just, you know, like I embody femininity to, you know, whatever degree makes me feel good. And I ironically, cross paths with it with a teenager who had none of that like he was a tumble. I love that so much he was the rough and tumble he was like just what are your favorite colors black gray and white I was like wait what those are <laughs> stop me. it she asked me what are my favorite colors I'm like neon yellow and wild orchid purple duh like <laughs> like we not that more yin and yang and it was so funny so i know the moment that i like realized her and my souls were essentially like attached and i think we had made like a i think we had made like we had like a contract in a previous life that we were going to meet here in this one because I remember the day we met and we had to go to Target and the the caseworker who was working with her had said like, hey, you know, out of this situation, we have, a, you know, an annual basically stipend or budget. We need, we need to take her shopping, right? Like she needs to come into your home with, you know, she has to, you have to register for school and do all this stuff. Like we need to get our clothing. We need to do all this stuff. I'm like, okay, well, like, you know, I'll pay for all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you will. But right now, like, we'll, we'll pay for it and get her started. So, okay. So we go to Target and Kohl's and some other places. And we're just getting her, like, a foundation of, like, the fundamental wardrobe pieces. And this is when I'm learning that this child has never seen a rainbow before because she wants everything that's, like, <laughs> black, gray, or white. I'm like, what's happening? And so I, I quickly learned that pink equated to puke. She hated pink. Um, now she wears it very proudly. Not my doing, her own. But anyways, so we're standing in the middle of this Target store in Leesburg. And she looks at me and she's like, when can I start calling you mom? And I swear to you, my heart like sinks down. So I was like, oh my gosh, that's like too soon. But like, now like I just like I didn't say that obviously but I was thinking it and her case manager heard it and was just like flabbergasted and what's actually really sweet is in the what's called adaptive adoption assessment um it's basically the file that they put forward in the adoption process um her case manager actually quoted the first day we ever met and did that and was just like I knew something was like sort of written in their stars because she had asked her the day she met her, like, when could she call her mom? So that's, that's kind of a sweet thing um, that actually lives rent-free and happily in my mind forever, which I love. But so to get back to the point, uh, we go shopping and that whole thing happens. And I take her back, essentially back 
um, to foster care uh, where she was at at the moment. And they had said, you know, how did everything go? And I was like, well, honestly, it was really great. Like we, you know, we watched movies, we did this, we did that. Like, you know, I didn't really want to bring her back. She was so fun. Like she was a great kid. Um, and they said, okay, well, is it, you know, do you want to sign on the dotted line and do you want to, you know, take her in to, to foster and she'll be a long-term placement at least six months uh, from the looks of it. And I said, yeah, sure. Um, and keeping in mind that at that time, that at least six months was like the number that was stuck in my brain. And so I, on December 13th, it was a Friday, um, I brought her home just about two weeks before Christmas and we had our first Christmas together and it just like turned into this really magical season for us. And we, um, you know, we just did all these great things together and I'm kind of a Christmas elf. So I think, um, my, my enthusiasm for this season definitely rubbed off on her and made her feel kind of warm and fuzzy and, you know, she met a ton of new people. They were all like so sweet and excited to meet her. And so it really just helped the, the settling in that moment. So the quick funny thing is not to get into the weeds here, but the, the process of fostering in the first 90 days, the foster family has to do so much. It's getting all of their resources, whether that be therapeutic or medical or educational, whatever it is. The first 90 days, you have to get full medical exams, dental exams, um, all of their school stuff enrolled. I mean, everything. It's really crazy. And you're establishing like your normalcy with this child. So you're trying to get to know them, trying to figure out what they like to eat. Like, are they angry when you wake them up in the morning to go to school? Or are they pleasant? Like, it's all crazy. So my first 90 days. I had remembered the, the foster care uh, coordinator who essentially places children with their respective resource homes. She calls me and she's like, hey, I think that this would be really great. Um, why don't you take what's called a respite weekend? And I was like, okay. She's like, the respite um, service is basically here for you know other resource families in the community to take your child for the weekend. They basically get to hang out, have fun, do something you know different, whatever. Um, but they get to leave your home and that way you can go off, get the time you need, and then like kind of, you know, charge your battery and come back. And I was like, well, that's a great idea. So I had a family and friend engagement that was taking place in Nashville at the end of February last year into March. And as you would know, COVID happened. And so I get this teenager call and we're in the oh middle of spring God. school, middle school nonetheless. So it's like crazy. And then the week I get back from this Nashville trip, I had just got, I'd flown from Nashville to Boston for work. And I get off the plane in DC and like people just had started basically shutting things down. And obviously DC turns into this like COVID hotspot. And all of a sudden I'm living 24 seven working from home homeschooling in a virtual environment with a person who I like barely know. So it was the, like, it was the craziest, it was the craziest experience I've ever had. If you talk about like diving in head first, this is the, the one relationship of my life where I can truly say like, <laughs> I could not have seen it coming. Um, but it was also a huge blessing in disguise. So it's like, 
it's pretty crazy how how things shake out. So it's oh, I, I, mm-hmm. insane to believe that we just passed that year mark and that we're in May already. So, you know, it's been over a year now that that whole dynamic switch up happened. So it's, it's pretty it's intense to think about. So I want to rewind a little bit and yeah. talk about like when you were deciding whether to adopt or foster, um, just getting into the experience. Like you mentioned that a lot of people were fearful for you. Like what was that like standing in your truth and your decision and even just deciding whether you wanted to do it or not? And like, what's my real opinion? What are other people's opinions? Like how is it navigating like Ugh. with support or without support and yeah i want to hear all so about that you asked me. so so it's weird because in the last year i have felt a tremendous amount of support but i've also felt these little weird pockets of i wouldn't call it like a lack of support but i would call it more uh, like almost kind of like almost a little bit of doubt so i know that people in their you know, in their desire to like connect or be funny or what have you. Like when I first told, like, let's say for example, I had a a former boss who I worked with who, when I told my former boss, like, Hey, I am fostering. Like I became a a certified foster resource family. And his first response was what for dogs. And like, it it was like, I understood that it was, you know, a little bit of like humor in the moment, but it was really one of those things that, so I've I've talked about this actually a lot lately. I, my moment of truth came to me when I realized that the self narrated version of what I'm quote supposed to be in my world was not at all what I thought it would have looked like at the age that I was at. And so to, to give you some, some context, I grew up in a kind of conservative, like Catholic family where the natural trajectory of life was go to school, go to college, find a partner, marry the partner, have children with the partner, create a family with the partner, support the partner, like do like, you know, your dreams come true together. And like, I was this kid at the time who went to community college, worked two jobs, loved that hustle, had the ambition to do different things, didn't even have a serious boyfriend until I was like 21 or 22, um, broke up with this person because obviously it wasn't going to work out, um, but like realized standing in my own strength and power that I had so much that I wanted to do with my life that yes, I went girl. I worked in big tech, I traveled for six or seven years, got a pass or experienced stuff, maintained this styling business, which again is like my favorite, just, you know, creative outlet. But I did all these things to, to, to essentially, they were like my soul food, right? Like they were feeding my soul. And so I got to this place and this is the moment when I decided to call or to send the email to, to get more information where I was watching the people around me get married and have children and do all these things. And actually it's, it's really timely that we're talking about this. 
So my godson's birthday is this weekend, uh, or his birthday party is this weekend, and he will be four years old. And he was truly like my, he's just such a gift. His name is Liam. Uh, he's the sweetest boy in the world. And when I was visiting with him and doing, you know, auntie stuff and, and just like recognizing the nurturing and loving maternal qualities I had, I sat one day and thought to myself, like, nobody's preventing me from having this happiness other than myself. Like I didn't need to go and get married, have to, like I could go and find this happiness however I wanted to. So that is huge. Just that mindset shift is like game changer. Well, I had to get out of my own way. And to be really honest with you, the people who express silly sort of like lack of support comments, like I even had a family member over a major holiday who, when I said like, I'm on this journey, I'm going to become a foster parent. um, They looked at me with this like complete shock and actually actually said these words like why would you want to take on somebody else's problems if they're not yours and I was just like wait what like like humans aren't problems (laughs) humans are wonderful they deserve love like humans deserve this chance to 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 reclaim their power and their identity and to be given opportunity when it's been like stolen from them and so like the lack of maybe awareness and maybe just like education, I saw, I was, I was faced with a lot of just like, I would say ignorant comments like that. But those were, I, I say a lot, they, let me backtrack a little bit. I was faced with a few of those that hit me harder than the supportive comments did because I always knew that I could do it. So the support was just the affirmation. But the lack of support or like say the ignorance that I felt, I experienced those are the moments that made me question like, but am I too big for my britches? Like, you know what I mean? So, so it only took me completely drowning that out. And then the reaffirmations came from the work I was doing in the community, the way that I think things kind of opened up and aligned for me. Um, standing in my truth meant that I expressed a need. I put it out there and then I watched how it served me as a result of me having done the work position you know position myself to to receive it and then believing that I also deserve to have it right so like motherhood for me never meant that I had to have my own children it always meant to just be able to love and and mother and nurture and cultivate and grow you know like a beautiful young mind or many right like it didn't matter it just was this idea that motherhood could come in any form and I wanted to experience it so it didn't matter how I got there it mattered that I did it. So, so that was the moment. And I think that like, um, that was, this is still the very like resonating thing that I hear over and over. And, you know, even like last week, I, I got a message from the County asking about when I would foster again. And I, I respectfully closed our home for, um, the next year. And then at some point in time, I might consider opening it again. Right. Because maybe my motherhood journey is, you know, now that, adoption happened and obviously we'll talk about how I got there in a minute or or a few minutes, but I had a lot of of experiences that really confirmed that I was doing the right thing. So my family certainly supported me. Some were really surprised. I think a lot of people just looked and said like, Oh my gosh, like you went from stamping passports and 
traveling the world and seeing stuff and like, you know, being a jet setter to being essentially like at the, you know, um, you know, at a, a teenager's beck and call. And it was like, that's fine. That was my, that was my next chapter of life. Like there, I never regretted that. I never felt resentment toward it. Never felt, you know, as though I missed out on something. I feel like I filled my cup so much that in life I got to experience the things that I wanted to, that the time came and I was able to greet it like with open arms. So, so that's how it felt for me. Um, I still sometimes like, not going to lie. Um, I still sometimes had like, let's say you, you'd ask, you know, you made a great point when you asked the question about like from foster to adoption, all the stuff, like what was it like and how did it feel? And, and what did people say? There were moments for sure during the foster process when people realized how close we were and how, how close we'd become. And, and, you know, thank you COVID. Cause I don't know truly if we would have gotten this close, if it weren't for the fact that we had to live within four walls together 24 hours a day. Um, there were people who obviously recognized the relationship we had built together and were like, Oh my gosh, how, how are you going to give her up? And that was really hard to think about. And then there were other people who had said like, wow, this is a really hard time. Like, do you really think you want to adopt a teenager, even especially, you know, in this circumstance? And, and so I was met with like very opposing um, concerns all the time, which was yes, 100% do it. And then some that were like, are you sure? Are do you feel like you're pressured into doing it because of what happened with COVID? And, you know, I, I, those were the, the conversation I, I had to have with myself but um at the end of the day I knew I made the right decision it was it was easy it was a no-brainer okay I love all of that oh my gosh and now I want to talk sorry <laughs> what it's so deep there's so much <laughs> oh my god I love it I was gonna say it's like the most beautiful thing I've ever heard but that sounded very what? over the top <laughs> but it really is so sweet <laughs> my god I love that I just love like listening to yourself and knowing like hearing everything I feel like there's so much fear around the unknown whatever route that takes for people and I think it makes people very uncomfortable if you go into something unknown and they don't they don't know about it so then they get scared if you're so listen I'll tell you this right um this really touches my heart in so many ways because there were two women who, and I'll tell you this, I, when I discovered my purpose, which I I still think is kind of like unfolding, but I I, I think I have a pretty, I I think I have a pretty respectable grasp on my purpose and why I'm here and what I'm supposed to do in in my time on this, this planet. But um, when I truly realized that living my truth would probably impact less people than more but if it impacted the right people that's what mattered yes is what actually proved to me that listening to my voice was what mattered not listening to any other voice and the moment came actually through social media thank goodness uh for social media being used for the right reasons i had received three in total over the course of about like probably 12 to like 16 months or so I had received from women who were either on fertility journeys or family planning journeys or having like 
very specific um, hurdles or, you know, difficulties or whatever. I, even a family who had already, you know, multiple children and really just wanted to become a resource family and was scared of what the outcome could be or like how it might influence the dynamic in their pretty peaceful home. I mean, I had people who came to me for the absolute right reasons and two of the three of them are now actually foster parents. Wow. And then actually backed out of the journey and they pursued the IVF route. And I will say like they, they truly help, it truly helped them realize that, you know, this eliminated the thought of like, is this their, their path? Right. And so like, it might not have ended in them becoming a foster family or a resource family, but it also excluded the option which helped them get closer to their truth. So like either way, to me, that was super impactful. So and did I, any of them become foster parents? You said they did or they uh, didn't? Uh-huh. So it was one of the families who I, I kept in touch with them. And the wife actually um, had done a, a little bit more of the legwork. The husband was just really proudly supportive. Um, and, you know, obviously they had to go through all of the normal training. I mean, they went through everything that I had to go through just at a later date in time. But they kind of, I want to say they began their journey like halfway through COVID. Um, so like this time last year and they actually have, this is like pretty amazing. Um, they have had multiple short term foster, um, placements, but recently they actually were able to bring in a sibling group of brothers who now are like a long-term placement in their home and the, the brothers got to remain together, which that's actually, I think the hardest part about fostering. Um, like for example, my resources that I have to provide would only allow for me as somebody who has a two bedroom, two bathroom condo, my setup would only allow for me to have either one girl or one boy or two children of the same sex based on the square footage and the resources that I have to offer. Um, so at any given point in time, I could only either have my foster daughter or my now daughter uh, and another girl, or I would have to have a boy and a potential sibling pair of boys. Um, so I could never have, you know, really the freedom to have to adopt multiple children at one time. Whereas like this family, for example, had a great house and plenty of space and you know now they have a house full of boys who all love to you know play together get along together I mean it's just a great story but you know and I I wouldn't go as far as to say that I you know 100% influenced them I think my journey provided them the realization that they were also living their truth and they were moving forward on that path and so, so that helped just like that helped me realize that you know, you always find not everybody are your people, right? But like the right people are the ones that are the ones that you want to stick with. And it's been really cool sharing um, just stories. Like I even one of the the kind of, you know, friends that I've stayed in contact with who uh, was also on a fostering journey, we've been able to meet in the past and our children have met and like, you know, we've been able to go out and, and spend time together. It's just a really cool thing to see and it's definitely um you know there's a lot of support within the foster community 
but you don't always want to sit in, you know, therapeutic groups and talk about what's going on. Sometimes it's just cool to have a ice cream and play date and feel, you know, released that way. So like, that's actually been a really cool outcome of this whole experience. And, you know, it has definitely given other people hope to find alternate methods of, you know, growing a family or providing love to people who need it. So it's been really cool that way. So cool. Okay. So I want to talk about like, what was it like having her come into your home and like creating a home together and what the, like just building the relationship was like, I mean, there's so many complex dynamics with every, you know, all of that. So anything you want to share, I'd love to hear. Yeah, this is a, I still think, and this is so important to realize our relationships with the people in our lives don't just form and then they're done. Like they're constant works in progress. People change and we have to be amenable to the change. We have to be willing to recognize that the change might be uncomfortable for us, but good for them. I mean, that is probably the biggest theme of, you know, when I first brought this person into my home, you experience this gratitude and this like, you know, some of the walls start to come down. This person is emotionally and mentally and physically letting you in, letting you care for them and provide for them. But you're still kind of walking on eggshells, right? Because you want to make a good impression. You don't want to upset anybody. You don't want to, you know, overstep a boundary. You have to create boundaries. I mean, gosh, I I didn't learn personally how to create healthy boundaries until I was in my late 20s. And I feel embarrassed to admit it, but... I think that's so normal. I do too. I wish it was something that we as a society like recognize is a healthy thing to personally establish a boundary for your own versus thinking that like a boundary means that you're going to essentially like inflict harm on somebody else. Because boundaries are not meant to push people away or hurt them. They're meant to healthily protect yourself. Right. So, so having somebody, especially, a, you know, a younger mind and somebody who truly had experienced things that not a lot of children, you know, like her peers, for example, at school, you know, it's few and far between that kids have experienced or seen some of the things she might have. And so I become the mom, her advocate, you know, kind of her assistant in a lot of ways, her chauffeur. Her, I mean, we spent just about every minute of the day together before COVID happened um, because we were learning each other and this dynamic and what is respect like and like setting ground rules, for example, like we don't yell in my house. Um, We've broken that rule a few times. (laughs) The situation (laughs) just called for it. And it's not like my most, again, it's not my, you know, it's not going to be my most um, prideful or like happy moment or easy to admit, but it happens. So I would say the dynamic uh, shift is it is a little tough um, when you're trying to provide somebody with guidance and rigor and some discipline uh, and you have expectations. I mean, the biggest thing is the communication. Uh, that aspect is just so, so important. Having expectations of somebody and never communicating them is like the perfect recipe for failure. Well, when you have a child, especially who has dealt with an enormous amount of grief and stress and loss and trauma, and in a lot of cases, it could be like abuse or neglect or both or whatever. 
you have a lot of times children who have psychological and emotional components of their everyday existence that they have to battle with first before they can even show up in your household and then be the contributing member to your family that you expect them to be. So the expectation you have to set for yourself has to be really healthy. It can't be like, you're going to do, you're going to tell them what you need to be done and then expect that it'll get done. Like that might not actually, the progress is not linear here. Like that might not actually take place until three or four months in when you become comfortable with each other, you communicate your needs and your expectations correctly. You chip away at some of those walls or have like really vulnerable moments. Like I will never forget the first time I told my daughter what it felt like being a single mom and having taken on all this responsibility and being so grateful, but like also being so desperate for her to just hear me when I'm asking her three or four times to do something that like between the lines, what I'm saying to her is like, this is really heavy. Can you just take a tiny bit of it for right now? Like you don't have to carry the weight. I just need for you to hold it for a second. You know, like, those kinds of moments like I remember we were sitting in the parking lot of like a shopping plaza and like drinking a Wendy's Frosty or something and I was like crying and I I just remember I don't I don't really cry a lot <laughs> so I remember that moment being like hard for me personally but then being like oh she saw it like she saw me cry like I was like a little Aww. embarrassed but it was sweet because it was a therapeutic thing for both of us because it like really helped her recognize that like I'm super tough, but that like I also am superhuman in the sense that I like I have moments. And so, you know, one of the things we do together and I'm I'm I am such a fan of therapy. I don't know I don't know honestly why it took me so long to love this. But therapy, personal, family, whatever, holy cow. It is, to me, it is just like one of the best the things. Best. That I, uh, I leave there just realizing that having this like almost like shock absorption or this like this place that I get it out. It doesn't live and breathe anywhere. It just stays there and it dies there and it's fine. And I got it out. And I feel better and there's resolution to problems like therapy to me is one of the most important things in my life. And it's been really critical for my daughter and I, and I'm, I'm certainly not embarrassed to admit that um, if it weren't for, I think, unique perspectives and a person like trauma therapy, right? That's a big part of my existence right now. Being trauma informed is a huge thing that if I did not have the ability to educate myself and become trauma informed and recognize certain triggers and certain things. Like I, I think it would have caused, you know, many wars inside my house, but a lot of times my, you know, let's say Lauren's former way of responding to conflict or a situation. Now, when I have this person with very unique and different, unique, you know, needs and perspectives and whatever, I have to react differently or respond in a way that would not be my typical or previous. And it's like really taught me an enormous amount of patience. It's taught me compassion. It's taught me like, I think for sure to look at, at things and situations from multiple angles and to not always strive for perfection, but to just like realize the moments of progress that are made. So the dynamic shift in our house, I think really it came from like, 
totally having to rip down these big tough barriers and like kind of bear our souls a little bit. My daughter definitely, um, when we first met, like one of the things that she wouldn't do is hug. And so her way of telling Aww. me that she was that she would have me hold up my hand and she would take her pointer finger and she would point my hand like that was a high five, but that was as much um, affection or human interaction as she wanted to engage in. And for me, I'm a very affectionate person You're and I love her. I'm a hugger. <laughs> I never want to ever leave somebody and then think to myself, like, if I never saw them again, I didn't embrace them and make them feel like they knew they were loved or like appreciated or whatever. And so with my daughter, I had a hard time, like a really hard time when she first was sort of like questioning whether or not hugs were okay. And then uh, we would have a couple of friends who didn't really know and uh, they'd go in for the hug. And instead of backing off, she'd kind of like, you know, growl or like. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Stand there like limply. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, her arms are falling to her side. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Fine, if you must. So, so what really was crazy is that as our time together progressed, one of the big things that happened during COVID was we realized that, like, so fitness is a big part of my life. I'm a weightlifter, and by trade, like, you know, you you can't keep a strong physique if you can't access weights. To a pretty, you know, at a pretty consistent, in a pretty consistent manner, right? So, like, I probably lift four to five days a week minimum right now, sometimes six during COVID. It, it didn't happen. So, <laughs> my daughter and I, we bonded over walking together. And one of the big things that became our nonverbal communication was sharing walks together. I and love that. Yeah, it became our sort of like, almost like the SSRI, the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor without taking the medication, if you will. It was just to give us endorphins and we would walk. And then like we would start off a walk sometimes and I'd have this like mopey, cranky, whatever teenager. And then by half a mile in, it was like, blah, 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 like all about our day, all about school. Like, so it was like just a really cool, it was a tool for us. Um, that's so me- cool because it's like a structure of love instead of like maybe giving them like a physical, like a hug or something that like yeah. she wasn't ready for, but just like being able to like hold the space. So then the connection can happen. Like however yeah. it's yeah. meant to is so cool. Well, it's a great point you make because that, that structure of love for us and like holding space, what we had to do was find ways that we opened doors and windows instead of shut them. And that was like a huge, huge component of our therapy. It's like, don't shut the door or, or the window, open it up, but find a way to let things in the way that fits you best. And so this walking, we had amassed actually uh, over like 200 miles of walking together during the pandemic. And loved it. I mean, we, we we did a, t- a 10 mile so um may 12 2010 a really near and dear friend of mine from childhood he had lost his life in afghanistan uh he oh, was I'm a so sorry oh it's okay 
Um, it was his 10 year anniversary last year. And it was a sad time for me because typically there was always a way to get my mind off of it or whatever. I always thought of him and held him in really high regard, loved his family, his parents, you know, he was born on the 4th of July, so couldn't be a more fitting and patriotic thing for, you know, our hometown hero. And so Last year, a group of friends of, of mine um, and I decided to do basically 10 miles um, of exercise each on the day of his his 10-year passing, uh, which was May 12th. And so my daughter and I ended up walking 10 miles together and not stopping. I mean, we just did it. We were dead afterwards. It was crazy. I was taking conference calls during the walk. Um, she absolutely handled it like a champ. It was so impressive. And she earned a skateboard for not complaining. It was really cool. Oh my God. Best <laughs> prize <laughs> ever. It was the best. I want to say, I think that like, I don't remember what I got her to eat. I, th- I think I might've gotten her like Chick-fil-A or something afterwards. But I remember us sitting in the car in dead silence together after that walk and just being like, we could hardly move our legs, you know, like we were so sore, but the, those little things that we did together, like those were the things that opened the window and kept opening the window and kept on letting things in. And finally, I want to say, and like, we'll go back to this September 23rd thing when we get more into like, how did adoption come about? Uh, I'll get there. There's a big story behind that as well. But um, when she finally started to show more affection. It really came from having spent big moments together where she realized that like when she put her emotions or her feelings or her thoughts or her concerns out there, they weren't met with any kind of like abrasiveness or tension or conflict. They were just met with like my honest, like desire to address her needs and the concern that I had and, how do I help resolve this? Or how do I create more happy moments and good experiences for you so as to not maybe keep you, you know, stuck in this mindset that only bad things will happen in your life? And when she, I think, got to that moment and that click, that's when a lot of the affection stuff started. So it was actually in July last year, during the summer, we drove to my mom's house. My mom is affectionately known as Gam Gam. And we drove to Florida to Gam Gam's house. And it was my daughter's first time um, going to the beach. She had never left the state. She had never gone on a road trip. This is like huge for her. So we had stopped up and down the East Coast in, you know, Charleston, Savannah, the beaches in Florida. We had done sunset cruises. I mean, she had never been on a boat. So we did all this stuff together. And it was pretty much all the experiences that a teenager I think could endure in one really cool summer trip, even though it was really like socially distanced and it was, you know, not a lot of people out doing things. We were able to do really fun stuff as a family. Um, And that's when like the kind of, you know, those big barriers really started to move out of the way and our dynamic shifted and, Sometimes we would drive in the car and she'd fall asleep and she'd want to hold my hand. And I thought that was really sweet. It was cute. There'd be times where she'd ask me to play. I love doing her hair. I I know you could probably imagine like braids, face buns, like anything. 
So her giving me the trust to do those things, like really started to open that door. And then, you know, falling asleep in the car, she'd rest her head on me or she'd grab my hand so she could sleep. So that's like how we started to get this like trust and everything built. And then affection slowly became, you know, a much more real part of her day. So I think the day that I realized that like she kind of cracked right in a, in a good way, she just walked up to me and she gave me a hug and she wouldn't let go. And I was like, honey, what are you doing? She's like, it feels so good to hug. And I was like, what? Like, what are you <laughs> it was really funny, but it was kind of like, I'm a therapeutic hugger. There are friends of mine who are like, hug me for 17 seconds. It releases dopamine. Like it is therapeutic. It makes me feel good. And not everybody I do that with, obviously, but like, I'm a hugger. I love, I love hugging. Uh, totally I think bought into it and now um there we've had to actually create a boundary in our house which was you get two big hugs a day because <laughs> oh my god she's a serial hugger now <laughs> a serial hugger. that's so cute cracked up because she's like okay honey like you went from zero to 60 real fast like you gotta like you gotta slow it down a bit so anyway so, so that's how our dynamics shifted and like how like the biggest things with us were communication affection and and like affection is not like just a physical right like affection is like being able to come home from school or work or whatever sit in silence with somebody tune out the distractions and actively listen right like not passively listen but actively listen and those courtesies being extended is what I think really like made our relationship because it was really evident to me that not only do I think nobody ever really could have done that for her in the past, it seems like she came from a place that maybe those people just didn't know how to, right? So it sort of gave her an entire new skill set um, being here and and getting that. And it was slow but it was really steady progress and I we even talked about this last night like the little girl that I know and love now is so so drastically different than the kid I brought home on December 13th but like I'm just I'm so grateful right like the whole being able to watch that and almost in an expedited version right because of COVID and being together 24 7 like it's been really powerful for me it's definitely been really cool to watch so I want to hear like about choosing to move forward with adoption and how that was for both of you and what went into making that decision and what made it feel right and all of that good stuff absolutely so I'm going to talk about this stuff and this is a little bit like harder stuff to swallow so these are the stories that are kind of sad and a little bit more like I guess like heartbreaking when you kind of realize that not every story has a happy ending. And as I alluded to earlier with the goal of, of foster care being reunification with the birth parents or next of kin, like, you know, some type of birth family, sometimes kids are in foster care because there was a horrific accident, their parents passed and they're holding them until they find the respective you know, right home or family members that will come and take custody of the children. 
a lot of times you'll get children in foster care who have parents who are either unfit, unwilling, whatever the case is, they're essentially surrendering their, surrendering their child and they, they wind up going into foster care or becoming an orphan in the state or something like that. Those are, that happens sometimes. Now, majority of the time, if there's not a catastrophic incident or something freakishly weird where like, a, you know, a parent just says like, I don't want my child anymore or whatever. Uh, a lot of times it will be as a result of something like abuse or neglect or a combination of both or assault or, or whatever. There's, I mean, a myriad of things. Although there were a lot of, say, blood relatives or, or you know, relatives in the picture. First, they have to want to provide a home for the child, but they also have to have the means to provide, if that makes sense, right? So you can't just say like, yep, okay, great. She's our relative. We'll take her. That's fine. You know, especially when you're dealing with borders and states and all this stuff. And so throughout this process, and this is something I don't want to obviously omit from the story, you have to realize, again, Foster is always intending to reunify the child with their family, whatever that looks like. It could be, you know, first relatives, whatever it is. It's, it's, that's always the goal. It's never to break up families. Now, full of other options. And unfortunately, none of these options, especially being in other states, uh, unable to provide the kinds of care and resources that she would have needed given her past and experiences. Um, it made it very difficult. Uh, well, actually not difficult. It made it impossible. There was no other um, suitable. There was, there was a few, there were a few options. Um, and, but there was a moment in time where we call it the kind of like the resource team, the support team. We all, this is myself, the birth parent, the birth family, the guardian ad litem, the therapeutic resources. We all got on a phone call together and it was, uh, June of last year, so we're coming right up on that kind of year mark when I made this decision, but I was on what they call a family partnership meeting, and we had a conversation, and it was very evident from the tone of the, the call and from the sound of everybody in the room about kind of like, what's next? Like, what do we do next? That what I was seeing and feeling and hearing was that Nobody could really raise their hand, stand up for her, meaning my daughter, take a stance and say, like, she deserves better than, than what's happened. Like, she deserves to have this life. And, and, and just to, 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 to clarify and give some context, like, this child had been in, you know, a series of different situations. She had never had stable education and learning and experiences that would just give her the stability to, you know grow the self-confidence she needed or to get the self-esteem that she needed to, you know, thrive or to, to push forward and to believe in herself. And last year she was able to finish her school year with AB honor roll after having gotten, and this is the first time she'd ever seen a report card with straight A's and B's, but it was because she was able to really calmly and with a very focused and clear mind, just assert herself. And on this phone call, you know, June last year, I'm listening to, you know, these adults. And again, this is not coming from a place of judgment whatsoever. I think that every person on this call, in their heart of hearts, wished that they had more to offer. But it was logistically and I think 
emotionally, that's probably the biggest thing, emotionally, it was very, very difficult for, for any one person or family or situation to paint a happy and really, I think, just stable picture of what her future might look like and to essentially put her in a better position than she had currently been in in foster care. Now, I felt no pressure at all. It had been brewing in the back of my mind for a long time. I didn't want to ever make it a, let's say, option because I didn't want anybody to use this as a default. So I always kept it in my back pocket before I ever spoke on it. But it was that call when everybody sort of, you know, roundtable took the floor, expressed like their means, their availability, their ability to provide, et cetera, et cetera. And I waited until, until the end and I kind of, I spoke up and I said, you know, the, the statistics for children who enter back into foster care as teenagers, you know, the likelihood that they find forever homes is pretty slim, right? Like it's, teenagers don't get adopted every day, right? It's just not normal. Um, a lot of times you'll see teens in foster care who will go from being in foster care until they're 18 and then they have a program called Fostering Futures where they actually remain in foster care until they're 21 so that they can get more life skills and more support to actually go out into the world because they essentially experience things that set them back, right? Comparative to, to adults or kids their age or what have you. So I'm sitting there thinking about this and I'm really just taking it in. And I remember the moment, like I definitely teared up a little bit because I was on the other line with her birth mom who I grew to respect a lot not like the situation was really unfair to my daughter but I understood that I could probably never understand in my lifetime what it was like to have to make the kind of choices that she had to for the rest of her children and they were younger and you know it was just there was a lot and realizing that complexity I spoke up and I was like, I really believe that at this point in time, it would break my heart to ever see her go back into foster care. And I can't imagine this kid um, not having summer vacations and not having the ability to get a passport and see the world and have family trips and you know, spend the holidays with us and like things like that. Like we had already started doing these things and I just couldn't imagine spitting her out there and then always wondering like what would come of it. So I remembered that that day I thought about it and around the table, every resource attorney, the county and everybody that was present had unanimously voted that if I were ready to adopt her that they would file the motion and so it happened really fast but I know in the back of my mind it had been sitting there lingering for a while I just had to wait for the moment until we really exhausted every option um, because I didn't want to throw my hat in the ring and then ever feel as though I took something away from her you know like I felt like a lot had already been sort of taken away I felt like we were doing really well. I never wanted her to ever feel like she had to settle. Um, so we, we went home that day. Um, 
I went home that day. I had to take the meeting, obviously, outside of the home where she was because she you know, couldn't listen to all that. Um, and I remember coming home and I was like a little bit emotional, but I didn't tell her why. And then we had had a big talk with her entire resource team. So this is absent of any of the family members or anything else. And we brought this to light that, hey, like, how would you feel if you got adopted? She was like, well, who's adopting me? And it was really sweet because this is all in person. Um, and obviously, I was able to say confidently, well, honey, I would adopt you, obviously. Me, you know, you you would just stay here forever <laughs> or as long as, you know, until we move. And then, you know, Gam Gam would be your grandma and whatever. And no hesitance whatsoever. Not a single ounce of hesitation, no pushback, no anything. Just, yeah, I'd like that. And I just can believe that. The biggest thing, like, how, how is it that easy? Like, I have a very skewed perception of this whole process because for me, it fell into place like Tetris blocks in like the perfect game. So, so again, I'm sitting there and I'm just like, really taken aback by it and then you know respecting her probably roller coaster of feelings there's attachment there's detachment there's all kinds of like big things that happen internally for her we had to go through a really long process of like weeding that out working through that talking about it you know so again we love therapy and we're not ashamed of that (laughs) it's great so we had to go through all of these big things to get to a place where um it made sense and then the day that i realized it was real was um in this process what ends up happening and this is why september 23rd was a big deal so in june they had filed the motion but because of covid and the court system and the backup and all this craziness something like a clerical error or something had happened that pushed our court date in july into september And it was actually on September 23rd, which was exactly a year after I had received my certificate of appreciation, that the termination of parental rights began, which made it so that I could actually file to officially adopt her. So it was weird how it literally came full circle, um, 365 days of action to getting that like journey started for us. So I, again, I never question it because it, it happened like in a, almost absolute perfection from a, just kind of how it all took place. You know, it was, it was weirdly perfect. So um, when I got to this moment where we had to kind of go through the end of the year, there was a lot of, again, a lot of like clerical, administrative, legal, all that stuff. I had to get an attorney, uh, which is great. The, the county helps you with this whole process. It's very, very simple for me as the um, adoptive mother you know I we we had to file the petitions and all of the background info and sign all the documents and again it was like buying a house or a car or more documentation than you could ever imagine um but of course you know after all that stuff was taken care of it was it was rather simple from there so um we filed we submitted the official adoption package um after again getting all of our ducks in a row doing everything we had to legally uh it was submitted to the judge on april 
2021, so just last month. And it was signed and official on April 29th. So it was a really fast turnaround once, um, again, once all the ducks were in a row and everything was, you know, it was the quickest decision by the court. Like, absolutely, yes. So it was good. It was really good. So a lot. Yeah. Do you think anything, like, changed? Or do you think, like, once that went through was there like a little bit of like relief for both of you or um there was relief for both of us um but there was also and like this is a crazy thing because a lot of bottled up emotion comes up and I think a lot especially on my daughter's side of things because when something that has like this finality almost stamped on it when this occurs I think that there are times like like we had and uh, this is a heartbreaker to talk about but i think that it would be i'd be remiss to just like talk about the happy stuff and not point to the reality like mother's day is an extremely difficult time of year for my daughter and last year it wasn't as difficult because they were still in contact with one another this year so and, and that's something i wanted to also talk about i made it certain that my daughter's adoption had an element of openness to it meaning she can still and i encourage her to create and maintain the relationships with her family and her, you know, parents, even her, her, um, you know, former father and, and family and everything. And she's able to talk to them. But unfortunately, when you terminate your rights, like, you know, the line of communication is, is kind of, um, it's managed on my end and it has to be right for the safety of her. Um, to essentially not spark any kind of traumatic events or behavioral or emotional things. And so it's hard because, especially as a single mom, I realize I bit off a lot. I don't really have that sounding board next to me, like with having a partner who at the end of the day, we can, you know, like, you know, like sit on the couch and talk about it or cuddle and like relieve each other's stress and like, okay, everything will be fine. Tomorrow will be a new day. It's like, you carry a lot of weight on your own and I recognize that my daughter carries a lot of weight too with the stress of knowing like that this is final and that it's um you know the dynamic has definitely changed for her and so there's a little bit of guilt even that I feel and I I hate this because it's been a really happy thing but it's also made me feel guilty in some ways because I never would want her to miss out on opportunities in life ever for any reason and I realized that that connection to her family still needs to be there and I want it to be there I just don't want to ever think that I had caused any kind of like rebellious or you know um maybe like I don't want her to I don't want her to ever react in the future thinking that I took something away from her that she could have otherwise had which is this relationship with these people and there are things that I think I'll never be able to understand that take place in her mind and in her, you know, little spirit. I think that there are times where she puts on a super brave face, but like a great example of stuff that we have to deal with here at home that is kind of atypical for some is like, she is really, I would say unique compared to some of her peers who have never experienced any of the stuff that she has at their age. 
she finds it really hard to relate with kids her age. She finds it hard to um, really make friends who understand what she's been through because she doesn't want to have to divulge all this stuff. But it's also like a core, you know, component of who she is. Um, and so there are times where she's still telling people like, oh, this is my mom, who was my foster mom, who adopted me. And then I think it brings up sometimes some stuff that's like a little hairy. It doesn't feel great. And those are things that have been met with a lot more positivity here lately. But, you know, again, like I still carry a little bit of that guilt feeling like I can't do anything else about it. There's nothing more that I can provide. I can just be supportive and hope that it shakes out over time. But, you know. She has not become, she's become more open with me for sure. Um, like stating wants and needs has become something she's gotten really, really great at, which I could not pry it out of her previously. Um, do you want this? Do you want that? How are you feeling? No, I'm fine. Yeah, it's good. No, I'm okay. Now it's like, what do you want? Make up my mind. Help me. Like, so, so, so those things in a positive way have definitely changed. She's become much more expressive and, and, you know, open to expressing her needs and all that stuff, but definitely a lot less. Um, I guess she's less vocal about like some of her birth family and creating those relationships or maintaining them with them. And I think that's just been maybe a product of this new uh, milestone maybe. So, we're still dealing with that in real time. I, in a couple of months, I'll get back to you on the big changes. Cause I, yes. we're still seeing it in real time. And it's like, you know, we've had really good days, like six out of seven days a week. Great. And then one, just like, it could be an explosive day and it's just tough, but again, therapy is great. <laughs> yes. I agree with that. Um, what, what are, what are some of like your favorite things about the relationship and maybe also I mean you touched on some already but maybe just to like land on some different ideas like what are some of your favorite things about the relationship and then maybe also like what are the most challenging things that are really spurring growth maybe Oh, yeah, those are great questions. So my favorite things about our relationship are definitely that we balance each other out. And as a Libra, I am all about that. Um, I think that my favorite things about her and I are that we have a lot of similarities, but a lot of differences as well. And like a great example, we both love animals. We both love children. We both love like, you know, the warm and fuzzy things in life. But she's the kind of kid who will go out and pick up worms to bait a hook and go fish. Um, just to be like one with nature and out there with the animals. Whereas like sometimes I can be like a little more prissy about stuff. And she's like, no, like Lauren, come on. Like mother, come on. Like, like she really has taught me or not even taught me she's reminded me that like my youthfulness is still something I can live with even as I age which has been like a really cool thing and I've kind of taught her a little bit of refinement and a little bit of like you know some of those life skills and how to like you know etiquette and being more appropriate social you know grace things like that where um 
we really truly bring out like the funniest parts of each other sometimes where um it's almost like uh again like the yin and the yang of like i'm this like bright colorful personality and she is as well but she loves gray and white and black and you know now i have this girl who's like okay like let me put on a dress and it's like wait what did I hear you correctly? Like, hello, speak up. What did you just say? Oh, you're wearing a dress today? Got it. Like, like these are like the things that we're growing to together that are hilarious. And like, we just challenge each other when we're obviously, you know, not in any kind of negative state of mind or emotion. We challenge each other in awesome ways. Like what I love so much too about her is like, she's got this giving and warm and thoughtful spirit and her love language is absolutely gifts she loves to give and receive gifts more so giving and just seeing the joy on somebody's face and so like the things about our relationship that make me feel so um grateful really just come from the the fact that we trust each other really well she knows that i'm her safe place i know that she loves and respects me as her mom but we also get to have moments that are just like really unique and unexpected um, because we both have an element of surprise to our personalities. And I think that's like a cute thing for a teenager even to be able to possess it. But for her, she's got like an old soul and it really speaks to me. And some of the things that she does are just like, they stop you in your tracks. And you go, Oh my gosh, like, you're just so special. So like, those are the things that make me happy. If I think, like, I definitely feel lucky I get to be your mom. Um, I definitely, we probably have the weirdest inside jokes ever. And, and one of the funnier ones, <laughs> if you're ever at a nearby shopping center or like public place and you hear somebody yelling out Bob or Llama, those are like our, those are our code names for each other in public. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, so I'm Llama, she's Bob. It's really funny. Um, it's like, it's stuff like that. Like, we're never bored together. I will say, I was telling my mom actually the other day, Gam Gam, how um, she and I had driven up and down the coast to Florida from Virginia twice last year and flown one time. Um, in, in six months, we had been to Florida three times. And in the two road trips, I had the best co-pilot and like she would go through and find great stand-up comedians for us to listen to to keep me awake while we're driving and just like stuff like that like we read each other I just think really well um and that's a cool thing I think my favorite thing about the relationship is that first of all I didn't have to change any diapers so we expedited all of that no poop (laughs) no poop um but there's plenty of fart jokes, just FYI. Like, we're real humans. Um, she created, like, a Richter scale for burps and farts. And, like, oh my God, I love that. Yeah, there's nothing that makes her laugh more than if somebody is around us and they, like, burp or fart. Like, the rating system is hysterical. So, like, like there's really funny. There are things that I think in a world that is otherwise very sometimes serious or even, like, cold or harsh, like, she and I can exist in a way that definitely makes life feel more simple and just like happy. And I think it actually, a lot of my sort of like loving and adopting her, like really 
in a lot of ways healed me from things that I probably didn't know I needed healing for. So I guess that if there's like a one takeaway from our entire existence together, like our relationship really thrives because we, we do a lot for each other. And I think there are times where like, I definitely realize that she is, you know, she's just a human that I have always needed as a daughter. And I'm so glad she was my first child. I don't know if she'll be my only, I mean, it could definitely happen that I have more kids or adopt more or foster more or whatever, but I'm just like really glad that she was my first. So. Aww. And she's a Capricorn, right? Can we say that? Oh yeah. Say that. For do sure. you feel like she's a Capricorn? Um, I do. Yeah. Like we talk sometimes about, um, like her traits versus my traits, like <sighs> Capricorns. So I know that like some, so the sensitivity for sure, the DIY creativity kind of aspects like this very, I think those are pretty obvious Capricorn traits. The, she's sensitive in a sweet way, not in like a, I cry about everything. I'm emotional, but her persistence, I think that's like the biggest Capricorn trait, like the stubborn persistent. Oh my goodness. But I'll tell you this much. I love having a child who is persistent and has a voice and wants to use it. And more so than not wants to do good because that is going to, I think, launch her into a lot of great avenues in this world. And because she has such an amazing and creative spirit about her and she's so self-starting when it comes to creative you know, projects and things. I think one day with the right focus, the right direction in her life, making mistakes, figuring out her path, I think she's going to nail it in the future and like really do great stuff. So yeah, I do think she's pretty authentic Capricorn and I know quite a few. So when I compare my daughter to them, I kind of am like, I laugh a little bit because um, there's a lot of similarities. I think it's crazy also, like, just the timing. I don't know, if, like, how much you follow astrology, but, like, so many things were going on with Capricorn in 2019 and 2020. And, like, mm-hmm. just, like, how it's all aligning. It just feels so purposeful and in alignment and right. Oh, my God, it's just so cool. And not to say it was, like, an easy journey, but it – nonetheless it feels just so right it was it was not an easy journey but to your point of alignment I think it was a guided journey I think that like I look at hers in my journey as like a corn maze right where you start and you have no idea how you're going to get out the other end but for us versus other people there were little like mile markers and signs that were lit up. And it was like very obvious where our next turns were together, where I think a lot of of others like might not have experienced that. And, and for me, you're right. Like it wasn't easy by any means, but like the days that let's just say this, whenever I have put myself in a position to experience anything in this world, that was not for me. Right. Like that was not, me living in my standing in my truth, living my purpose, doing what was meant for me. It was always met with a lot of resistance. This goes into like, I'm talking interpersonal relationships, romantic relationships, like anything that was not meant for me. 
it's like my body can reject it. Like, like it, it will essentially tell, tell me like my instinct is ironclad. Like if, if I'm not feeling it, like my body is like, nope, 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 abort mission. I have never had that feeling in this process. And, and it's a huge process. It's literally, I'm going to take responsibility for another human's life. Like, that's so scary. Like, <laughs> you think about it. You know, like, I'm not adopting a kitten. Like, but <laughs> yeah. it's weird. Oh, you're right. Like, it was so purposeful. It, the alignment could not have been more apparent. So, yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. It was really cool. What was something that you expected from this whole journey that maybe ended up being completely different, whether good or not like bad, but just like different than what you thought it would be like? Well, I think the most obvious is, you know, a lot of, and this is just, this is a, I think this is an, um, I would say this is kind of, you know, society, right? Like this is a result of the way that like our culture has ever. Can you hear me? I think we're good now. Good. I'm sorry. Hopefully this is an easy fix. Oh my God. So easy. Okay. So go on. Do you remember where you were? Yeah, I do. Okay. Um, what was pretty crazy for me was that, and I think this is just uh, sort of, um, this is something that I think like society obviously, you know, really contributes to a lot of the thoughts we have about things like quote, like the system and foster care. And like you hear so like, you hear so many horror stories, right? Like, and, and they're not, it's not that they're not true. Like, these things happen. And again, I have a skewed perception. I expected, like, especially having gone through training and met kids who were in foster, who got adopted, and, you know, I worked with and volunteered with and stuff. Like, you, you see and hear a ton of stories. And there were these times where I, like, I think I was waiting for the shoot fall or like the, you know, the, the really bad thing to happen. And we don't get me wrong. We've experienced a lot together. Um, you know, there have been moments where like one, one thing I thought, and, and, and it's taught me a lot to never assume, but there was a point in time where I thought that like, you know, I got her when she was 13. I met her when she was 13. I had her, you know, essentially for a little over a year and a half until adoption happened. I just kind of, kind of had thought that like, okay, um, a lot of what I have taught her and that she's absorbed from now, from then until now, like is really sticking. And like something I wasn't aware of is like how trauma affects young brains and how sometimes it really just takes an enormous amount of patience and persistence to you know lead a person 
to, um, you know, wanting to be successful and wanting to address their trauma and wanting to address their healing. And like a big thing that we learned together, like, so, so first of all, I have a skewed perception of fostering because I met a wonderful child who we clicked really well. And then we ended with like this great happy ending. And I know that's not how it goes for a lot of people. The fact that it happened for me on my first try with my first long-term placement, completely unexpected, not at all what I thought was going to happen. You know, that was, that was huge. Now, some of the expectations definitely like social, certain social things, certain behavioral things, you know, you think like, okay, like in, when I was, this age, this is what I was doing or how I was responding or how I was acting. And you really cannot make assumptions ever that a child who's experienced certain things in their life can just sort of, you know, they're resilient. Children are really resilient. I've learned that a great deal. But there's a lot of stuff that is really heavy and it's kind of like teaching her a new way of thinking to master like herself and to center herself and to come to terms with who she is. Like I got some, I got a child, you know, who really did not have a sense of identity or understand an understanding of like what she even thought she deserved in life. Now, like there are times where I'll have a kid who wakes up at six thirty in the morning and runs into my room and tells me about, a dream of going to four different colleges where like before it was like, well, I hope I don't get arrested one day. And so like, like certain things have happened that have just been shocking and just like so warming and just like warm and fuzzy. But then there have been things that have happened that I thought like, wow, like I was so different at this age. And so, so it's been like extremely educational for me. Um, I did not have the crappy experience with foster care and caseworkers and, you know, the system as people call it, like I did not have a poor experience. So I have a hard time with when you hear people having bad experiences, I expected I'd have a bad one. I totally didn't have a bad one. So, you know, there were a lot of things that I was shocked by I almost say like, do I cut my losses? Because like, maybe this is just meant to be and it was perfect and don't do it ever again because it could be like terrible the second time around. I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you just don't know what to expect. So I think about that kind of stuff a lot. Um, I think I had always just assumed that you know, like I looked at myself and my life and my family and the relationships that I have with my my mom and her, you know, siblings who are my aunts and uncles and cousins and whatever. And like, I always tried to think about like, if my life had a similar um, turnout as, as my daughter's had, like, I would have had a ton of people who I think would have loved me and cared for me and you know, I think gotten me to a safe and happy place immediately. And I think it was a little shocking for me to see like 
just this process and to see like a happy ending, but it was also a little unhappy for part of it. Um, I think I didn't expect to be so close to every single conversation. I sometimes thought that people would just relay information to me. I would absorb it and then we would move on with a plan. And I was elbow deep in every conversation, every decision, you know, like that kind of stuff that surprised me a little bit. Not that I expected to be removed from it per se, but you know, a foster parent is essentially not the legal guardian at all. They're really just the legal caretaker as per the state or the county. Right. So, so there were times where I was happy that they entrusted me to do the right things and make the right decisions, but also it felt really, really close at all times. And I think that that was a shock, a little bit of a shock to the system because, okay, so like, here's one really big thing. I've never had to keep secrets from somebody, especially not somebody that I cared about, like any romantic relationship that I've been in. It's always at least, the mature ones have always been founded on mutual trust, right? And like understanding and complete and open transparency. Now it's really hard when you're trying to create a relationship with especially a young person who you're trying to get their trust and their love and their everything, but you have to keep secrets from them because you're in the middle of a process that's extremely mature and really, really hard. Right. So like I went to bed a lot of nights, like, really like sitting on some heavy information and and you know like waking up and carrying stuff like that around and not being able to say anything to my daughter about it or having information that I can't share with her and knowing that like I'd want to know those are things that came as a surprise in this journey like for sure and it was hard for me because it goes against who I am a little bit right like I don't like keeping secrets I don't like to lie ever uh so like having to lie to her for her own good was definitely tough um but yeah that's information filter (laughs) that's a good way of putting it (laughs) um what would what advice would you give to anybody who's thinking about fostering or adopting so I never went into fostering with the mindset that I would adopt. I am so glad that I went into fostering with an open mind because it obviously ended up really great for me. Now, if you ever go into fostering with the sole goal of adopting, you'll be really disappointed because, again, it's 100% goal of reunification with birth families. Um, What I think is if you're going to go into parenting or you want to create any kind of atmosphere for a child, you know, to thrive or to live in your, you know, in your home, the best thing I can say is truly like, go do it for the right reason. Um, Recognize that, you know, it definitely takes a village of people. Like I never, understood my working mom single mom mom friends it didn't matter what they were but I never felt more relatable than when I became a mom um because like mom brain is totally real you're thinking for yourself and another person at all times I would definitely say if you're gonna foster like please recognize you know 
it's just not for everyone. And that's not as to say that not everyone could try doing it. You truly have to realize that, you know, there's like babysitting and then there's, you know, fostering. Like, I guess making that comparison seems vague, but a lot of times people will say like, well, it's a kid. How hard can it be? You know, with fostering, there are so many things that like triggers, experiences, emotionalities, behavioral things. Um, you know, when you deal with a child, a lot of times you'll deal with kids who have a past of, they could have substance abuse problems or they could have, um, personality disorders or chronic illness or whatever, like to anybody who would consider fostering, I would say, please become trauma informed because it is the most like wonderful thing I ever did for myself. It doesn't just help me with my daughter. It helps me with being a human. Now with adoption, there are multiple routes to adopting you know through foster it's a great place to start if you want to establish a really great um relationship and just to add some clarity there when i fostered my daughter i had to she had to have been with me for a consecutive six months before they could even consider adoption so we got really lucky like you talked about the timing and everything falling into place because when this meeting took place last June, she had been with me for just over six months. So to even have the ability to say, yes, I'm going to step up and adopt her, like the boxes were checking themselves because we were supposed to end up together, right? A lot of times with other families, if you have a really, you know, strict timeline or you're, you know, you want a specific age of a child, like you have to realize this journey can be really, really deflating in a lot of ways. Like, a lot of people go into foster uh, fostering because they want to foster and like adopt a baby. And to be honest, those are really few and far between. Like, yes, you'll get newborns, but oftentimes you'll get newborns who will be with you for a pretty short period of time and maybe go right out to either a next of kin, like immediate, you know, birth family, or, you know, they'll be reunited with their, their birth mom and dad, like pretty soon thereafter. So like being in a mentally, I think open place for fostering and then doing the work to make sure that you, you know, not just that you can provide a bed and food, but like that you can emotionally be there. Like being emotionally present has been the biggest, um, like seriously the biggest transformation that uh, I've made as a person in this relationship. So, you know, realizing that like you're living for two people now, it's, definitely a big shift so i think if uh if you consider it be aware that it's not just going to be um you know it's not like an overnight decision it took me luckily it was easy for me but it took me a long time to think about it and then kind of like put things in motion wow this was amazing it's a lot i know Oh my gosh, but like I can't thank you enough for coming on and just being so open and honest about everything 
And it's such a beautiful story. And I mean, even the challenging things I think are really beautiful and how you talk about just how much growth and just like the emotional layers that I think you are able to articulate so well is so interesting. And I think just very wise. You're so wise, Lauren. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's a weird thing too, because I feel like I had an emotional revelation becoming a foster mom. And it's actually been a hard thing for me to settle with, but I feel like this is a safe space to share. And if it gives anybody any kind of like help or guidance that might be listening, you know, I had a series of expectations for my life that stemmed from like what I talked about earlier, this idea of what I should be and what I should be doing. And that very self-limiting belief before I became a foster mom, it led me down a lot of paths. Like, for example, it could have been a relationship I was in where I was dating the wrong person because I believed the right outcome or the desirable outcome was there, but it wasn't really my person, you know? Mm -hmm. I became a and it cleared all of my confusion up about what I'm supposed to be doing and where I'm supposed to be. And so, like, it was... You know, it was revolutionary in the sense that if you remember this in the fall, I shared with you a romantic relationship I had been in and it was a really unfortunate but real um, situation I endured having to dissolve this relationship and give up the idea of creating a family with somebody who was not going to be the best fit for both mine or her future needs, especially as a package deal. And that's never is to say that because of her, this relationship ended. It's for her, this relationship ended. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like chills, chills. Uh, priority. Like she was my greatest love story. And so like there, what I now see in my future and her future is only going to be somebody who loves both of us unconditionally who wants the package deal who recognizes like the work and the effort it took to get here like it's the kind of person who I never realized I was looking for until I had a child who made who put my life and my goals into perspective so like again there's like such a symbiotic I think relationship between us we really I think existed and like met on this plane of our physical existence to I think like expand each other's souls in so many ways so I'm just really grateful for you know that and I'm so so happy that you thought I was worth your time to talk about this (laughs) oh my god more than worth it ah well I love you and I hope there's something that is valuable as a takeaway or like you know I'm sure I'll listen to it and be like oh why did I say that? But that's just who I am because I'm crazy like that. But I love talking to you. So thank you so much. It's been awesome to open up about it. And I actually realized while I was talking about it that there's a lot of stuff that I've never really like unfolded. So this is cool. This, this is, is a, so cathartic. Like being able to like talk about relationships and what's going on. Oh my gosh. There's so many in our lives, right? Like, all the time we're stressing or improving or getting rid of a relationship, whether it's actively or passively or whatever. And I think that relationships are so interesting and 
like looking at the one that I just talked to you for about what two hours about it's been again it's been like the journey of all journeys and it's like such great proof to me that um you know not every relationship is going to be this complex or layered but it's so cool to see how far it can come when you do the right work for the right cause and for the right you know outcomes so it's been cool to talk about it's definitely given me some food for thought to go and sit on later on today so thank you where can people find you if they want to connect with you? Like you can share whatever you want to promote. Sure. So I love that. Um, obviously the power of podcasts and social media allows for people to connect and talk about mutual interests. And I love talking about ideas, creativity, fostering, uh, all this stuff. So if there's ever, um, any kind of, you know, desire to connect, you can either reach out to me through my Instagram, send me a message. My Instagram is the T H E L E L L E G G E E, which is just my initial spelled out. So the L G and you can also email me. My email is just L dot Gehrig. That's my last name. G E H R I G four one at gmail.com. And I'm a pretty responsive person. So if you shoot me an email or an Instagram message or anything like that, I'm really quick usually to reply and I just love connecting. So um, I'm here for it. for tuning in to today's episode with Lauren. Oh, I know you just feel so uplifted because I sure did after hearing that. And yeah, enjoy. Share it with somebody who might need it or might enjoy it. And shout out to the Eagles. Take it easy and I'll see you later.